right, I, I handed out a new uh, thing because you know, I just can't leave it alone. So um, I handed out a new handout, although it's kind of just related to last week's because we didn't get to finish Joy. So we're going to finish Joy today and we'll be done. Um, Christmas sharing tonight and tomorrow. I think Carol made the announcement, was it last week, that you know, if it doesn't matter which day you go, come on Saturday because there's less people. It's more fun. No, I, I mean, it's fun either way. Okay. Um, so we're going to talk about joy. And I think it's obviously it's very applicable to this time of the year because probably your favorite Christmas hymn, right? Joy to the World. Okay. Um, just like last week, your favorite Advent hymn is the Angel Gabriel, most highly favorite lady. Okay, anyways, all right. So um, one of the things that if you want to know uh, what joy is or what joy is not, then you should watch the S- the Saturday Night Live skit, Debbie Downer. Um. Debbie Downer, ever since I've... So, the Saturday Night Live is a comedic sketch show. Saturday night, obviously. And um, this would have been the early 2000s. There was a character, one of the women... Actually, who I think is from Chicago area, Rachel Dratt, had this character named Debbie Downer. Is that where that came from? Debbie Downer? Yeah. I think Debbie Downer. Or was that... Oh, I'm sure you gave it before, but she... She uh, she epitomizes her name's Debbie though I mean the character in the Saturday Night Live sketch and she I I really thought it was funny because it really epitomizes like the anti it's like anti Christian but it's done in a funny way so um, you know I was going to show you a Thanksgiving there's multiple ones where. Uh, the Christmas one is probably too offensive to watch, but um, the Thanksgiving one was is pretty funny. So, like um, for instance, it's a it's a, her family around the Thanksgiving dinner, and someone says, "Oh, this you know turkey's so great," and then she says, "You know," she says something about E. coli breakout, <laughs> you know, related to like poultry, you know. So anytime everyone is like joyful, she like has this thing that she says that really just is a it's just such a downer. And in, in this sketch, though, even the turkey leaves the table at the end of it. She's just by herself, which is, I think, is, which is a really great thing because I think almost every sketch, she always ends up by herself. Like, people just can't be around her. So, but I, I'm sure, hopefully you're not that person, but I'm sure we all have people like that in our lives where you're like, oh, man, come on, take it easy. Um, anyways, so uh, that is definitely not what joy is. <laughs> but um, joy is a, is a big topic in Martin Luther's theology, but of course it's very important in biblical theology. And for Martin Luther, the two really important texts, biblical texts, and, and not just for him, but should be for us because obviously is uh, Galatians 5.22. It's in the list of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. The second fruit is joy. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, patience, kindness. I can never get past it. Goodness. Self-control. No. Goodness. Faithfulness. Self-control. Is self-control the last one? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I know the la- I always get the last one, too. I always get after kindness. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Joy, patience. Joy. <laughs> you just start mumbling. Self-control. Everyone knows that you got them all. Okay. That's what I do for confirmation kids anyways. Express and joy expressed in singing. Yes. For Martin Luther especially. Yeah. Um, but uh, and then, okay, so joy is a noun. For Luther, rejoice. And that's from Philippians 4.4. 4, but there's multiple times where St. Paul will say rejoice. But in Philippians 4.4, 4, he says rejoice. And I say it again, rejoice. That is the verb form of the word joy. So sometimes, uh, you know, we'll see the word rejoice or rejoicing, and 
you know, we won't think about it in terms of joy, but that is, that's the verb of joy. All right, now one of the things that Luther will say is God hates sorrowful teaching, <laughs> which I think is pretty funny. He takes pleasure in happiness. So Luther is talking about this in reference to God. He takes pleasure in happiness, for he came to refresh us, not to sadden us. And that's important for us because um, once you've experienced the forgiveness of sins, then you have a good conscience before God. And that good conscience fundamentally changes your life and then how you live. So, so Greifenberg uh, will, will have this phrase here. I would have to be dumb and lacking in all human reason, faculties, and sensitivity if I did not experience the most fundamental joy conceivable. Now, she's, she's speaking as Mary, you know. Mary has Jesus in her, of course. But the whole point, though, is, is that she, you basically have to work hard to not be joyful because uh, the forgiveness of sins is like, you know, you, you were blind, but now you can see. And so now, as a Christian, you are beginning to see things as they really are. And they are as God has made them. So there's a creation aspect. And what, of course, what does God call creation? Good. And then, of course, he calls you know, the creation of man, mankind, humanity, very good. So you always take joy. Joy always takes place in good things. And then fundamentally, that would be God. I can't remember. Did I, did I talk? I can't remember if I did this. I did this with the, maybe the Concordia University students a few weeks ago. But um, in the LSB, our hymnal, the ending of each of the verses, our highest good. And I think it, God, is, is God is high. Oh, I can't remember how it goes. Yep, that's it. How does, how does it go again? Before my soul, the highest good. Before my soul. Yeah. Well, what's the name of that one, though? I always have to, I have to go do a Google search. I've, I've done this like five times, and I still, I'm terrible at remembering lyrics. That's it. Yep, thank you. Okay, that's it. So that, that's, again, that's within our... It's within our Lutheran tradition of how God as the highest good, we, t- we take uh, not only joy, but we take pleasure in God. But it doesn't stop with God. It also ha- happens in, then, in terms of the creation aspect. Because God has made things to reflect him. And so you, you, you can call creation good or man very good because that is based off of, of who God is. Okay, anyways. So Greifenberg's really like, there's no Debbie Downers allowed in Christianity, okay? In fact, I, I, I can't tell you how many times as a pastor this has really come in handy. I, I can think of, well, two very extreme versions of this and then uh, several other ones where I uh, said to them, why are you so down? I didn't say Debbie Downer because both of these people probably would not have been able to reference that. One was a man and one was a woman. But, um, yeah, they were just so, like, they were so wrapped up in nonsense that they just, they couldn't, they couldn't be joyful. And, and ang- they were angry, but kind of about nothing, really. Um, so the antidote to anger or fear their, their anger was based on fear, is joy. Okay, so think about joy. All right, now, what is joy? This is where it's very interesting, because joy, for Martin Luther, is very peculiar. So the source of joy is God speaking to us in the word, in baptism, and in communion. So that is very important for us. Um, these are the locations where we go receive joy. God's word Baptism, so word and sacraments. Okay. I know that phrase is kind of thrown a lot in, you know, in Lutheranism and in our lives, but sometimes we need to slow down and maybe meditate on that phrase a little bit more. But when you are 
lacking in joy, these are the places you go. These are the places you run because this is, these are the places where you interact with Christ. Not just Christ, but Christ for you. Forgiving your sins, enlivening you with his Holy Spirit. But um, in Luther's commentary on, on Galatians 5.22, he takes the fruits of the Spirit and he has basically like little sections on each of the fruit. So on the joy, he'll subtitle it joy, and then this is what he says. This, joy, so you could take out this and put joy. Joy is the voice of the bridegroom and the bride. I love that phrase. So joy, uh, for Luther, he, does not, he doesn't resort to kind of abstractions, meaning joy is happiness in all times, or joy is um, that feeling you have where you know everything is okay, or whatever. That's just all abstractions for him. For Luther, he just really says, it's the voice of the bride, groom, and the bride. So you have to know your Bible a little bit more to know what that means. But it means a variety of different things. It says here, it means joyful thoughts about Christ, wholesome exhortations, Krista, now you happy songs, praise, and thanksgiving with, with which godly people exhort, arouse, and refresh one another. Um, so joy is the sound of lovers. That's what joy is. I love that. So as you enter into the word and baptism and the Lord's Supper, you're, you're coming to the, your lover who loves you. And that, that talking, that sound between lovers is what joy sounds like. That is joy. So, of course, it's nuptial. Just throw that out there. Don't forget that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but joy is hard to describe then. Right? It's not a, I mean, because you can go into the Webster Dictionary and find a definition of joy very clearly. But yet, for Luther and for the Bible, that does not do it. A picture, a word picture does it. So even in Greifenberg, it says, The glorious heavenly fire of joy of the Holy Spirit, how it ignites and transfixes me so that for joy I cannot describe the joy. So I, I love that phrase, is that she... And this goes along with what stuff we talked about way long ago, where she wants things to be obvious but not obvious at the same time, like the picture, like those little emblems that she'll show. So it's, it's something that she's experiencing and is present in her life, but she can't describe it. It's too much. So that is, there's the mystery of joy within that. Um... Ask any man who loves his wife, why does he love her? And that's going to be, like, miserable for him to answer. <laughs> Not only because he... And I'm, I'm hopefully men are listening to this right now. You can just say, you're, it's just it's too much for words. Okay? It's just, it's, I just... I can't say anything because it's too much for words. Words would only bring it down. Yeah. So, <laughs> it sounds like I'm letting guys off the hook, but I think it, part of it's true. Yes, Krista. I think <clears throat> it underlines the thankfulness. When you are thankful, you know that everything goes a little bit different. Yeah, no, so, so yeah, an, an effect of joy is uh, thankfulness and gratitude, or gratitude. Uh, an effect, A-F-F-E-C-T. Yeah, not the E. That is too, um, because out of joy then it springs up more. Okay, then um, but jo okay, so joy is hard to describe. Joy and certainty go together. This is one of the great things. Is that this is why Greifenberg and Luther will say, you know, no Debbie Downers allowed, because they are certain. Joy and certainty go together because Christ is certain. So that's why Luther always drives everyone who might be in despair to the word, to baptism, to Holy Communion, to, you know, to, so the forgiveness of sins that's given to you in word and sacrament. Because those things are certain. I might, have, I might have mentioned this to you before, but in the large catechism, Luther will talk about baptism in terms of word and water. 
and he kind of distinguishes word and water because the, bi- the body receives the water and the soul receives the word. But it's not as if it's just water only, but it's this wordy water. So um, how do you know you've been baptized? How do you know that Christ has washed your sins away? Because well, I, I, I got splashed with water. It takes, no, it takes no mental thinking about this. It would take a denial of your body in order to not believe that you've been baptized. So there's a certainty involved with the presence of Christ in your life. Of course, the same would go with Holy Communion, which is a little easier, right? How do you know Jesus is with you? Because you just ate him. I mean, he's in you. So these are the that's so these are certain certain certainties that you as a Christian can lay claim to, cling to, in moments of despair, and within that, there's there's this joy brewing. It's about to come out. We'll get to what happens when you don't feel it though in a little bit. So um, oh yeah, joy flows out of love and desire. Um, I have nice comments about Zacchaeus there. But because of the, the, the flowing aspect then pictures us again then as super abundant. So there's never a time where joy is just kind of you can keep into yourself. So the warm, fuzzy feeling that you might feel because of joy isn't there just to make you feel good. It's, it's meant to come out of you. So again, so now what text are we talking about? That the Greifenberg meditations, Mary pregnant. So the joy that's in her is not meant to stay in her, right? It's meant to come out. So baby Jesus is meant to come out. She can't, she can't stay inside her forever. So um, that's a very graphic image, right? Baby coming out. But oftentimes, as Christo has already mentioned, for Luther, um, joy basically um, it, it makes you pregnant with praise. And then praise comes out. So song comes out. For Luther, uh, song is the kind of the most quintessential understanding of joy. Like this is how joy lives, by singing. Okay. I, th- I think I put a little, some, oh yeah, right, because uh, Luther's Theology of Music. I, I, I use this uh, one guy's book, for, for kind of some of my train of thought here. But um, the thing is, though, joy is not an add-on to our humanity. This is the way God made us. And Greifenberg actually makes that pretty explicit. Luther does, but I, I, it's too hard to quote just a little bit. So he, talk, he talks about joy in terms of um, the Genesis account. All right. Um, yeah, so joy and singing. Right, yeah, Greifenberg, 2023. Okay, so now the thing is, though, the question that Luther likes to raise is, can someone who's not a Christian have joy? And he would say no. Only, only Christians have joy. Now, um, and that's because of faith. Only those who have faith are truly joyful and can truly rejoice because faith is the right relationship with God. It restores humanity to the image in which humanity was created. So joy is a sign of faith, mark of a new creation. Oh, I forgot to take that word out. Eschatological phenomenon. Oof, what does that mean? Um, that, so your joy, you might have temporal joy, but any kind of temporal joy you have now is really based on the things that will happen. What will happen? You'll die and rise from the dead. So the resurrection is this thing that informs our joy now. So this is... Um, uh, well, this will be very helpful for me when I preach at a funeral on Monday. This is, uh, I'll be preaching about this. The eschatological phenomenon of joy, <laughs> because um, the family 
before um, Karen passed, we talked about Joy, even though she's dying. She has, a, she signed her, does anyone, has everyone ever received an email from Karen Musa? She signed her emails with keep the fork. Keep the fork, comma. And you probably have seen, I have never seen it before, though, of course. She, when I got an email from her to set up my first shut-in visit with her and Bob, I got there, I'm like, what, I don't even know what that means. What does that mean? It's weird. And she said, oh, you haven't heard that, Pastor? I guess it was something that was passed along. You know, forwarded. I'm surprised I didn't get it from my parents. So keep the fork. What does it mean? So there's a story about a, a woman who was dying of cancer who told her pastor that she wanted to be buried with her fork in the casket. And it was because God was saving the best for last. So she kept her fork. Um, now, you know, whether... Yeah, for the banquet, yep. That story? Yeah. Apparently, because uh, um, Bob, Karen's husband, told me that, you know, he was surprised I'd never heard of it. So, um, so I guess he made rounds amongst some people. But anyways, you can only keep your fork if you are joyful. I mean, joyful is this, you're expecting the best, expecting more. So you have the superabundance of life in you, even in the midst of death. And what we find out, though, is that... Um, Joy cannot be overtaken by despair because of the presence of Christ. But now there's a lot of complexities with that, and we'll actually talk about that in a little bit, hopefully. I mean, yeah, we'll get to it. We'll definitely get to it. Um, But the whole point, though, is is that um, the, the, the eschatological phenomenon, the last, the things that will come in the resurrection, that joy is already overflowing into our present life. And even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, is being renewed every day. So that, because on a certain level, our, the new creation can only come when the old creation's past. So that's why um, we'll find out that joy only comes, only comes through the valley of despair. Tina. I went to a funeral the other night and I, I was telling them about you know, what the pastor had said that joy was missing. You know, he presented the gospel and it was right. But it was even the fact that, you know, we're not perfect and Jesus came and he will take away our sin and we'll see him again in heaven. And, right. You know, but it's like, but where's the comfort now? Right. So, yeah, the denial of joy takes two, two, actually two forms. And one is, just like you said, just kind of the missing of the, the, the end times. The other aspect that where joy is missing is denial, the denial of death. Because if joy only comes through the valley of despair, and joy, the new creation only comes when the old creation's past. So... And you only get a resurrection when there's a death that's happened. So this is something where um, you get two sides of, of the same coin happening. At fun- this is where the rubber meets the road a lot of times it's at funerals. So you, uh, I think we're bringing that up because um, when, when I talk about joy, Pollyannish realities is not true and denial of reality is not true. I mean, you, you, joy actually envelops death. Yeah. So if you pretend that death doesn't happen, then that doesn't really help people because their bodies grieve. And, and then when you say, you know, Christians have joy only, they misunderstand that as Christians shouldn't be sad. Well, that's not true. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and a lot of times, you know, I hear people, so I hear family members consoling one another with this, kind of um, unconscious reaction that when someone cries, they, you know, they say, you know, it's okay. Now, I know they're trying to affirm them, but, you know, we just, we, sometimes we just, it's best just to let somebody cry and not say anything. 
I mean, it's usually our own discomfort with the crying that makes us talk. But yeah, Aaron. Um, I can never quite remember the quote, but you guys have put it in both a couple times. I think it's from Roger Tabe about about um, God's joy encompassing all our being able yeah. to help him. Do you know it? <laughs> I, I don't, but that, that that sounds about right. It sounds something I probably would have put in there. God's divine joy is so large that it can encompass all of our sorrow and still remain. Yeah, Luther has actually. I think I put it in here. I think it's uh, on the fifth page. Okay, um, it's from the Weimar edition. <laughs> Joy happens when Christ is greater than our sin. It's a nice little quote. It doesn't joy so joy joy envelops all of our sin. So this really this really helps us understand when Greifenberg always talks about going into the wounds of Christ. I'm like, this is weird. But you enter into the wounds of Christ because that is the part, that is the place at the crucifixion where Christ is greater than our sin. And he envelops all of our lives into that. Okay, so um, great. Faith and joy. Oh, faith always has a companion, joy in the Holy Spirit. So Luther can say that. And then we'll talk a little bit more about how he kind of cares for people who are in despair. Um, oh, the other thing, too, is um, joy and pleasure. I mean, this is something where, again, you have two kind of pieties happening that Luther really kind of explodes. And one is the monastic piety and the Puritan piety. So monastic piety, where you kind of draw away from the world, and all you're doing is praying and now, Greifenberg kind of edges towards that, maybe. Um, but all of her examples and all of her images kind of says, well, she really partakes, partic- participates in the world. The other one, the Puritan piety, is, is really denying any sort of pleasure in life. You know, so like, you know, no drinking, no dancing, because those things bring pleasure, and a pleasure, of course, results in sin. For Luther, that's not true. Um, taking pleasure in God and taking pleasure in um, actually we just we just sing this hymn is the recessional hymn from this last Sunday it's either this last Sunday or the Sunday before yeah does anyone remember (laughs) (laughs) uh it basically says God, we desire that God is, oh, it's, well, first of all, we already see it in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. O Desire of Nations. Yep. But the other hymn used the language of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Oh, well, whatever. Okay. So if we desire God and we receive God, then that means we take pleasure in God. And, of course, we have joy with God. So this is... Um, so Luther will say that, you know, you're, you're taking pleasure in God, but if you don't take pleasure in... Oh, let me backtrack. You don't take pleasure or find joy in only stuff. So some people will really focus on the stuff or his benefits and then just kind of forget about God. And, and in order to combat that, that's the Puritan aspect. Oh, whoosh, we're not going to take pleasure in stuff and then only focus on God. The monastic one is we only can take pleasure in God and his benefits are like his, or like I'll say gifts, but his benefits are, are not something to be focused on. They're kind of accidental to, to his, his life. Where Luther will say, these are both so connected, you take pleasure in both. And, and the highest, or the, 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 the one that you take most pleasure of all God's gifts is, in fact, humanity, other people. So, um, yeah, in fact, it, in his writings, the German, Krista, I think this is true, Freude is joy, right? I mean, 
we all know that from Beethoven's Ode to Joy. <laughs> and uh, then the word uh, lust, lust, which for us, of course, like, ah, oh, that doesn't sound right, but that's a German word, um, means pleasure. It could also be taken, it could also mean kind of something more than just, you know, enjoying something. All right, so, so Luther will say then that you're, um, you take pleasure in, and in God and then also in all of his gifts because his, he created these things to be enjoyed. Ultimately, you take pleasure in God, but then if man reflects the image of God, then, then of course we're going to take pleasure in one another. Aaron. Um, have you ever read the book thousand things? No. In Boston? No. No. It's like a thousand things that you think. Yeah, it's, it's, she's, you know, Yeah, I don't know what she, but, it, but she really focuses in, it's like a fast seller, so she's popular amongst, not really great but she really focuses in on, like, being thankful for all the little yeah. And certainly under the umbrella of believing that all these good things come from God. Um, I've always been curious, like, what your, like, your take would be on it, because sometimes it feels like it's so focused in on just the way of doing joy, or the, mm. um, the way to joy, right. through choosing to be thankful for all these little things. Under the umbrella of that, you have a good God who's given them to us. Yeah. It's just like, sometimes it's like, what's wrong with this? There's something like... Yeah, okay, yeah, so, I mean, this is something where, um, yeah, any sort of joy has to flow from, you know, word and sacrament. The thing is, though, is that this word and sacrament is external, external, meaning it's put on you, so the word comes into your ear, Baptism comes through the skin, communion from, you know, from the mouth. And so there is this emphasis on you, your first thing is outside of yourself. So the, the notion of like working on anything in terms of like gratitude or working on a habit can only be it can only happen with the external first, from God. Then, from, from this, so, so like there's this, this aspect of faith or, or, or action of faith that you just, you, you do. It's kind of, uh, you can't help yourself. And that's why uh, the voice of the bridegroom and the bride is really helpful for us because You know, lovers don't always have to be told to say I love you. It just comes out. At the times they do, right? And so those are, there's, there's these habits that we do as people that are good in of themselves. We just, we just know we need to do them. I mean, well, let's make it even more simpler. You don't have to be told to breathe. The only time you have to, you think about the effort of breathing is what? When you, yeah, when you can't breathe, right? And when you got to think about breathing. Um, so that would probably be the most extreme version of how we don't think about things. It just comes naturally until we can't do it. Um, but that's kind of a, a symptomatic or analogous to the rest of our life. So in terms of like joy, there are, there's wellsprings that spring up. And it just kind of comes out. However, the devil is attacking you always. and doesn't want that to happen. So you have to acknowledge this reality. That Satan, the world, even your own flesh, your sinful flesh, is working against this. And there's a variety of ways. So Satan will try to attack you by making you feel guilty about taking pleasure in God's good gifts. Or he will somehow make you think that you are um, not doing what Christians should be doing. 
It's just to make you feel guilty for things that you shouldn't feel guilty for. That's the easiest way to say. So trying to doubt, making you create doubt. The world will just tell you, don't take pleasure in God's word. That's lame. Take pleasure in sleeping in on Sunday. You know, so they create a whole different world of pleasure, which is not true. And then your sinful flesh will cause you to uh, doubt these habits or, or, or kind of, so, you know, getting up on Sunday morning. I think for everybody in this room, this is not really that hard for us, but for me, most of the world it is. I mean, goodness gracious, getting up on a Sunday morning, that's a, that's a huge sacrifice for a lot of people. Um, but so our sinful flesh says, yeah, it's just not worth going to church, I don't get anything out of it. I mean, I don't know. It's not really working. I'm just going to sleep in. Okay. You go to church because you know you 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 receive God's word and sacrament. So you know joy is being given to you at church. So even though you don't feel like it, your flesh is working against you, against what true joy is, you say, I got to get up. I got to do this. And you're living proof that, you know, it's, it gets easier in a sense. Doesn't mean it's easy. As we all know, getting up on Sunday morning is difficult at certain times in our lives. And that's why we have a Saturday night service. <laughs> but second, though, I kind of say that uh, teasingly, but, but then, so now there's a variety of other things in our lives that we do need to practice or create a habit, so like breathing. Now, each of us will have different ones. And we have to kind of, through prayer and meditation, explore those things, you know, based on a personality type. I mean, we kind of talked a little bit about this earlier when we talked about prayer and meditation. We need to pray, period. That's true. That can be a law word. That can be a gospel word. However, we all have different ways of praying, and we need to embrace those. Uh, and then when we do, we experience joy in this habit. But see, that's where Satan will come along and say, you didn't pray right. You know, you didn't do it right. Or, you didn't, you know, you didn't do it right or you didn't hard enough. However, he makes you doubt that what you're doing is, is what you should be doing. Um, again, then also, too, your sinful flesh will say, you know, don't do it that way, or you have to do it this way in order to be correct. And that's just kind of silly because prayer is spending time with, with Christ, with God. So that can take a variety of forms. That can take a, that can be meaning you get down, you come to church during the week and you spend half an hour in front of the crucifix. That's great. You can do that. We don't have that many people like that because people have jobs and have kids and can't do that. So, but some do. You know, other people will say, you know, I pray when I'm, you know, going through the grocery store. Okay, great, great. It's fantastic. Embrace those. Don't let anyone doubt it, make you doubt it. So, um, so yeah, so I mean, I understand. So, yeah, there could be something wrong with it because it becomes an overemphasis on the technique. But to a certain extent, we do have to have a habit, and habit is a way of life. So we have to separate or our, our distinguish from technique and habit, and then find the habit through prayer and meditation, and then embrace it, and then find someone who supports you. Because this is the other thing about joy. Joy is never alone. You're never, you, you cannot experience joy by yourself. It's impossible. Because if joy is um, super abundant, not only does it come out in praise, but in conversation and sharing. And one of the antidotes to despair is pr precisely relationships. And we'll, we'll actually, we'll, we'll, Donna, you have a question, and then we're gonna we'll just skip ahead to. 
Oh yeah, right. But because God is God, just like the bride and that's right. Groom, they have each other. Right. If you were talking about um, Luther referring to Genesis, yeah. Well, it says in Genesis that uh, man is not complete without a bride. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And we're not complete without Christ. Christ. Yeah. And so that's. I mean. Um, no, Donna's right. I, I didn't. I didn't even put this in here because Greifenberg. It, it was a different reading. So, she makes a real big distinction between I'm rejoicing in God, not just His gifts. And this, for me, is, is growing up. Why did I believe in God? Well, so I get to heaven. I mean, God was kind of inconsequential. As long as I got to heaven, that was the big thing. So I really love God for His benefits. I never really had a strong relationship with God. And so, when I was confronted with this reality as a college student, it blew my brains out because I realized that I loved God only for heaven. And I wasn't really, I didn't really have a relationship with, Jesus was there to get me to heaven. (laughs) So, and even in my talk of heaven, I hear this a lot with people too, heaven's going to be so great. It's going to be like golfing all the time. I heard this, I heard this within the month. And they, they were kind of saying it in jest, but they were like, right, right, it's going to be awesome, right? Um, Donna, the book is called 1,000 Gifts. 1,000 Gifts. Yep, no, no, so anyways, I haven't read the book, Aaron, so I don't know, we'll see. But yeah, but this is real something where people say, oh, I'm not a joyful person, I need to do this in order to get joyful. That's, that's not... That, no, your love has to be invigorated. So joy, joy, can't, joy is not something that you just get without the whole, without Christ. Yeah. So I guess that's sort of like, when you find yourself in a position where you're like, oh, Debbie Downer. Yeah. <laughs> then, I mean, I suppose like the first thing is confessing, but, yeah. you know, my, my thing is like, and then what? <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, right. So let's let's go back. So pastoral care and joy. So this is this happens in Luther's pastoral care. So like I said, true joy runs through the valley of despair. Uh, and Greifenberg will often talk about this: how um, nothing can impede joy in Jesus. Uh, the th- that that sort of thing is though is that she's recognizing the adversities of life. And that can't get in the way of Jesus. But the thing is, though, in both of these, these notions is that adversities of life are like a part of, just part of life. And this is what we do. So we are, I mean, this is what we experience. So joy never eradicates those things. But joy, as we already talked about over, is super abundant and overflowing. So sadness and a burdened conscience happen because sin is still present, but joy prevails over them. And the top of 219 is, um, Greifenberg will say, our flesh, our spirit flesh hampers joy, but the Holy Spirit is the best fire worker, which I really like. So like you're, so she has this, like basically you put a, a, a wet towel on things. I don't know if that's where the word, I don't know where that comes from. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Put a damper on things. So our lives can be, you know, can seem like a Debbie Downer. But the acknowledgement that, hey, this isn't right, is already this, the Holy Spirit kindling in you. So he's, he's the best fire worker. He's not going to let a little damp cloth get in front of him and, 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 and you know, stop him. Um, so, uh, and then that's why you get all this, like, boiling language in her, you know, bubbles up and leaps out. So then joy happens when Christ is greater than our sin. Okay, so now the question is, goes to you. What happens to those who do not feel pleasure or joy, don't feel like it? 
Well, first, I mean, the, the first reality is of, of us is that joy doesn't come easy. It's not simply a spontaneous thing, but must be asked for and given to. So we pray about it. We pray. Um, now, here's the thing, too, is that I, I've always encouraged people about the liturgy because we, we do pray this, although not during Advent right now, but uh, we do pray this many times in the liturgy. Does anyone know? Well, there's, a, there's a several places, actually, if you think about it. I mean, there's one, but uh, specifically, it's in the offertory. Um, I don't know what has, I think has helped me a little bit, is to do create in me a clean heart of God and renew a right spirit. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. I can't create it myself. Right. If you try, you just get... <laughs> yeah, this, this is really helpful because, and that would be part of the, the, the habit, you know, rather than technique, part of the habit is that we, we just are constantly asking God for the same things over and over again. It's really important. Um, and that's why the liturgy is really important, because we keep, we keep returning to these fountains of life, in a sense, because we can't live without it. So, uh, you know, how, how, how do we thank the Lord for all the benefits he's given to us? You know, so we're asking God, well, how can I, how, what, what can I how, this is too much for me. Too much your your gifts that you're giving to me. Out. What can I even? How can I even say thank you to you? But then, in the post communion canticle, after the Lord's Supper, you know, whatever. Praise tell everybody that He has. With shouts. Yeah, okay, thank you. So, you know, whether how you feel, I, I don't care how you feel about that song, but it's a good song because it actually is a testimony to the overflowing abundance of joy in the Lord's Supper. So this is where, Aaron, where you go back and you say, hey, I just received the Lord's Supper. I have a wellspring of joy inside me. You might not feel it, but then you sing that song. In fact, Luther, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, Let's just skip down to these letters to Jerome Weller. There's three letters to Jerome Weller. I think I only quote two. Um, And Jerome Weller is given to melancholy. He's given to despair. And you can... um, Letters, uh, Luther as a spiritual advisor is a, I think, a public domain book from way back when, but it was translated in English a long time ago. Um, So, okay, I I have this wellspring of joy inside me. I sing this song that actually says so, but I don't feel it. What am I going to do? Well, Luther would say, make up your mind to laugh. Find someone who you can engage in a conversation. And then he says, you must, by all means, avoid being alone. So laughter is important. Now, I didn't, we didn't talk about it, but laughter is a sign of joy. This great discussion of Abraham. There's quotes in there, just a few. You, yeah, so, so this is another great thing, too, is, um, in fact, uh, there was an Australian journalists who pointed this out is that it seems like uh, Jewish faith and Christian faith are the only religious faiths that have laughter as part of their piety. And he basically wrote that against how the influx of uh, Islam. Islam is not a faith of laughter. Yeah. He got in a lot of trouble for it. but, um, But anyways, laughter is part of our faith. So um, when you are in despair, make it, make it a point of, make up your mind to laugh. Now, if you ever come to Pastor Nelson, he always, I mean, I always try to bring in some sort of notion or something that lightens the air. Um, okay, so I do that because of that. 
Okay, and then the next one, the same, same uh, if you turn, flip it over the last page. My dear Jerome, you must engage in merry talk and games with my wife and the rest. So he prescribes going to, you know, merry talk, having, you know, and then playing games. Entertaining yourself, taking pleasure in something. Now, I didn't quote this because it goes, it gets way too, way too much misquoted. He also tells Master Weller to drink more. <laughs> it's probably not a good thing to say right now, um, given the, uh, you know, it was different back then. Um, he actually says, don't water down your wine, but drink it full blast. The, um, uh, yeah, so, so this, this is his prescription for joy, Aaron. Very non-Puritan and very non-monastic. Isn't that funny? He doesn't say, like, say your prayers. So what is interesting, though, of course, for anybody who's in despair, right, they don't want to be around people. They want to disengage. So this is where, if you know anyone who's in despair, if you are, you have to say to yourself, I don't want to be around people, but I must be around people. Like you just, you, you must give in to someone who says, hey, I'm coming over. Or, hey, can I come, or can we come over then? Or you just say yes, and then just don't worry about your messy house. Yes. Okay. Um, it's it's really important. Yeah, the drinking aspect is kind of a funny thing. However, the intent of that phrase is that you need to find something to take pleasure in. And <laughs> there's a lot of other probably inappropriate things that Luther says, but he also, yeah, never mind. I won't say that one. <laughs> Just find things you take pleasure in, and then. Uh, do it. Okay, so oh, and then also he says here, what else does living mean than to be glad in the Lord? And then, and then he finishes it, the Lord has not sent you this chiding. So he's meaning that any sort of despair you're experiencing is not from God, but from Satan, the world, or your own flesh. And he says, in the beginning, the struggle is grievous, but by practice, it becomes more easy. And the reason why Luther can say that is because, well, he knows his Bible, but why, why else? He's experienced it himself. He knows exactly what he's talking about, and he's come through this. And he bowed through with um, fits of despair for the rest of his life. In fact, I, I've probably told you this before. After the death of his daughter, he was in such despair that he wouldn't get out of bed, and he locked the door. And his friends came over and actually broke the door down of his bedroom. And... Uh, sat around his bed and just started singing. And he, they only sang songs he liked because eventually he would start singing with them. And it took him like, you know, like the whole afternoon it says, but by the evening he had started singing and he came down for a drink, down to the wherever, kitchen or living room, wherever they went, but not in his bedroom. So, um, so this is the thing is that we, and when we don't feel joy... There are, are things we can do that are they're antidotes to joy. But again, the reason why Luther doesn't talk to Jerome Weller about like say your prayers or go to church more is because he's already, he's already doing these things. So he's, this is not, I mean, he, Luther understands that God gives these gifts to take pleasure in because that is why God gave it to us. He didn't, he didn't make us to be sad, he made us to be joyful. And so we rejoice in those good gifts. But again, with Christian friends, so there's a lot of uh, um, uh, things that are uh, uh, presumed in his quote-unquote prescription for Jerome Weller is that he has Christian friends, he's saying his prayer, is going to church, receiving the sacraments. And this is a very specific sort of uh, melancholy. Yeah. All right. It's 1030. There's a lot of quotes here, a lot of great stuff. But Greifenberg, again, really uh, kind of exhibits 
all this because it's uh, it's just kind of in her writing how she will use kind of all these natural things, even fireworks to explain Christian faith. So she really does take all of God's gifts, God's gifts, and then understands how they are made for her to to uh, rejoice in and, and then point them back up to God. So. That's why she always uses the word O, O-H, and all the word bliss all the time. Um, but Luther will say that Abraham, he was in heavenly bliss too. So she's not the only one. She's not some weird, obscure Lutheran. So, Kathy. It, it seems like it's important to remember that the fruit of the Spirit, we have, <clears throat> we have these things in us. Right. Oh, yeah. Spirit is is in us, and and Greifenberg says the joy that is in me forces me out of myself. Right. And I think we that what tamps down all the fruit of the spirit is that inward. Yeah. Right. Yep. Attention, listening to the the negativity of the world, right. absorbing that. Up. Uh, but we can ask God to mm-hmm. quicken. Yeah. Fruit. It's a <clears throat> yeah. It burst forth, and he will do it, uh, not just with joy, but with any one of the. Oh yeah. Just say like, They're all connected. Yeah. 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 No, this is really important. Is that uh, the fruit of the spirit? It's not like you only have one or two. You have them all, and they do manifest themselves in different ways, but they're all connected, and they all will, um, you know, kind of feed off each other, support each other. But yeah, you have them because you have the you have the spirit. So you've been given the spirit. There's no double baptism in Lutheranism. You get the whole spirit right away in your baptism, and because of that, then you have a lot of certainty. I mean, that's the great thing, right? You know, you have it. There's no question. And again, there's there's uh, there's always reasons then to say, well, I don't feel it. Uh, why is it not coming? And then that's why you have to listen to other voices, not yourself. God's word, and then people, other people, Christians. And you really have to take every thought captive. You have to right. realize that just because you're thinking it doesn't mean it's true. I mean, it's <laughs> how many times I've thought of something, and I finally just started saying, would that stand up as truth before the throne of God? And it's amazing how many times it's like, no. <laughs> oh, okay, there you go. That's right. And then I stopped thinking about it. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, and then you just, you, you try your best not to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't mean it, it's a constant, it's a constant battle, yeah. 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 Aaron. Well, I'm thinking about, I actually was just listening to this person talk about anxiety recently. And our, our because anxiety is painful, our instinct or hard things or scary thoughts or whatever it is yeah we want them to be gone and to get rid of them right away but yeah this this person was actually talking about in dealing and it was particularly in terms of chronic anxiety but it was talking about instead of it, it, she was like anxiety is always there it will always it will always come oh yeah yep anxiety to come but by changing how we can relate to it which is which is what you're talking about Kathy it's you identify these thoughts that come in, you're, if, if somebody tells you don't think about a purple elephant, like you think about a purple right. elephant, right? But, but you don't have to be like subject to that thought right. under it and oppressed by it. It's like, you know, there it is. It's not true. You know, it's not Absolutely. something, it's not even necessarily something you have to deal with. It may just be like, yep, yeah, there it is, and it's going to keep yeah. moving so on. Yeah, actually, um, uh, I can't remember where this is. Luther, because, you know, Luther always, when he was in the Wartburg Castle, you know, Satan would come and visit him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has these stories about how Satan would manifest himself, too. And um, <laughs> my, my favorite story, it's kind of a guy way of understanding things, let's put it that way. But, you know, um, <laughs> my favorite way of how Luther doesn't deny the presence of Satan in, in his room. He just farts in his face and turns over. 
<laughs> that is my favorite. I love it. Um, that's my modern translation. But the thing is, though, is that like he, he so, I mean, this this caused a lot of long, a lot of anxiety, and, and he was really afraid. And you know, there's this supposed, you know, he throws the ink well at the Satan, all that. Um, but I don't know if we ever realized that it was a constant thing for him. It's this constant visitation by Satan. And one time he just said, you know, when Satan wakes you up, he's, you know, just fart in his face and roll over and go back to sleep. It's great. So um, there you go. I, I, it, it, I think it's fantastic because you don't, yeah, it's just, it's like you're not going to let that you're not going to let that. You're not going to let that control you. You're going to. You're just going to be like, whatever, man. So, yeah. Um, well, there you go. What a way to end the Bible story. <laughs>